This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Right. Hey, each Sunday at Christian Chapel, we're sharing praise stories of what God has done. Uh, this is something we feel like he's called us to do in 2023, to celebrate his faithfulness, his provision, his healing and salvation, and also to pray that he'll continue to do those things. If you have stories in your life of God's intervention, if you'll send those to us at praise at christianchapel.com, we would love to hear them and we would love to share them. This morning's story comes from Matt Thone. Matt says, I was part of a dance team with my friend Taylor Pride. A couple years ago, I had an accident while practicing one night, night, and I was left with a lower back injury. I was unable to bend down and had to be very cautious when walking. Driving was painful. I couldn't turn my head or my torso very well, even when sitting. Standing up straight took effort and made me extremely tired. Many movements created a shooting pain up my back to the base of my skull that that would then spread over one side of my head. I had so many appointments and treatments over that period of time that I felt as if I had exhausted my options for healing or recovery. Surgery seemed to be the only option, but I was trying to avoid it. Over the span of two years, I slept on the hardwood floor in my apartment. I had a brand new bed which was never used because sleeping on the floor kept my back straight and comfortable. I had to lay on the floor each morning just to get dressed and then roll sideways into a push-up position, grab onto the coffee table to stand up. For two years, this was my life. I lost my physical ability to do many of the things I loved. One night, a friend invited me to a local church. At the end of the service, there was a call for prayers for healing. I slowly and carefully walked down to the front with others so that we could pray. While at the altar, someone began to pray for God to heal anyone with injuries to their spine. As they prayed, I felt my spine snap sideways, straighten out, and move back into place. It felt as if all the nerves had suddenly untangled. I both felt and heard these changes. The next day, a couple friends stopped by my house and asked how I was feeling. I showed them how God had completely healed me. I could bend over completely without pain. I could move freely. I could sleep in my bed. I could get dressed. I could place both palms flat on the floor while standing. I was able to rejoin my friends in all the activities that I loved. I had been completely, totally, and permanently healed. And so, uh, again, we're sharing those, and each week we pray two prayers. One is a prayer of thankfulness, uh, expressing our gratitude to God for what he's done in Matt's life. And two is a prayer of, Lord, will you do it again? Will you continue to bring healing? Will you continue to to bring just permanent and complete change? And so this morning, we're going to kind of focus those prayers. uh, You know, back pain is one of those of, if you're over 25, you probably got a little bit of it, right? Uh, But I also know there are further experiences of that where, like Matt's experience, it becomes very crippling, debilitating, uh, depressing, and just seemingly endless. And if that's you today, we're going to pray that God will just bring complete and total permanent healing to you today. So will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for Matt's story. We thank you that you have uh, reached down and you continue to hear our prayers and respond to them. And now, Lord, we ask that what you did for Matt, will you do again today? Lord, you see those who are suffering. You see those for whom even now sitting is difficult and uncomfortable. Lord, you see those who don't sleep well at night, those whose uh, movements have been limited, whose activities have diminished because of the, the pain they've endured from injury, from trauma, or disease 
disease or, or just from life. And so now, Lord, we pray today, will you release your gifts of healing into every physical need, into every space where we are not as we want to be? Will you release wholeness? Will you release just a, a complete deliverance from pain and discomfort? Will you begin to restore motion? Will you renew and, and just make all things new within us? Jesus, will you release your gifts of healing today? As you do it, Lord, we will receive them. We will testify to your goodness. We'll share the stories of your healing with others. And we'll continue to believe that what you have done before, you can do again. And Jesus, we thank you that your healing power is not the result of our effort. It's not something we manipulate or earn. It's a gift that you receive. So this morning, Lord, we're asking, will you release it again? Give us faith to believe and to walk into this new space you're leading us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And today we are continuing our way through the book of Acts. We kind of identified three big themes that we see on repeat in the story of Acts, and those are Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the church. Today we're going to be in Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7, talking about spirit-inspired speech and the scripture-soaked life. And so we're kind of continuing with the story of Stephen. Um, I'm going to probably say these phrases behind me about 27 times today. Uh, and, and just please be gracious. Because just if you just try to say either one of them multiple times in a row, you're going to mess it up. If you try to say them together, you're really going to mess it up. And this morning as I was kind of reading through that, I realized the awful mistake I'd made. But the slides were done, so we're committed at this point, right? Uh, so spirit-inspired speech and the scripture-soaked life is what Acts chapter 6 and 7 is going to teach us about today. If you have a Bible, it's a long passage, so we're just going to read some segments of it and work our way through. We'll start in Acts chapter 6, verse 11. So if you remember, over the last two weeks, we've been introduced to Stephen. He's a man who's described as full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, full of faith, and full of power. He was chosen by the apostles to be one of the new administrators in the church, meeting the needs of the community. And then in addition to that, it seems that he went past his administrative duties and he takes up the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of him and begins to work and serve as a witness to the world around him. His activities have got the attention of the religious leaders, and much as they've done for the apostles, they now do to Stephen, and this is where we pick it up this morning. Acts chapter 6, verse 11, Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. Now, this might not seem like a, a real big deal to us today, but we want to understand that this is actually a, a life-threatening situation for Stephen. There are charges that could lead to death if he's found guilty. And as soon as Stephen hears these charges, he would have known two things. First, he knew they weren't true, and second, he knew that these men were determined to kill him. It represents an escalation in the opposition to the church. Prior to this, they've arrested the apostles, they've imprisoned them, and they've threatened them. Now they have begun to actually engage false witnesses to tell lies with the hopes of killing Stephen. And then in verse 15, we see Stephen's response. It says, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face 
of an angel. In the face of determined and deadly opposition, Stephen's response was to be perfectly at peace. And just for a moment, I want you to place yourself in Stephen's position. If you had been falsely accused, if you'd been doing only good things, introducing people to Jesus, and others had come up to accuse you of things that could lead to your death, what do you think your face would look like? Or would it be perfectly at peace and perfectly at rest? Naturally, probably not. I think my face would probably be a mix of anger or worry, of fear or concern. It might be a face of concentration, trying to figure out who do I know that I can call to help me get out of this. It might have been a face of how do I refute these charges that have been brought against me, and yet Stephen facing what seems to be a, a group of people determined to put him to death is perfectly at peace. This is the work of the Holy Spirit inside of Stephen. When it says that he was full of the Spirit, he wasn't just full of the Spirit to perform his duties as a church administrator or to share the gospel, but he was full of the Holy Spirit in every moment that he encountered, including this moment of persecution. It's also likely in these moments that Stephen was finding comfort not only from the presence of the Holy Spirit, but also from the example the apostles had set before him. Stephen knows he's not the first church leader, not the first Christian to be arrested. He's not the first one to be threatened. He's not the first one to find himself in prison. And so he can rest knowing that to this point God has saved and delivered those who've been arrested. It's possible that Stephen also remembers the words Jesus had spoken in Matthew chapter 10. Maybe they've been shared with him by the other apostles. When Jesus said in Matthew 10, 19, when they arrest you, Do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. See, the promise of Jesus, the experience of other believers, and the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit brought Stephen peace because he knew he possessed the promise of Spirit-inspired speech. Stephen knew that he didn't know exactly what had got him into this mess. He didn't know exactly how he was going to get out of it. But he knew enough of the legal structure and setting to know at some point he was going to be able to have the opportunity to confront his accusers and to respond to the accusations. And instead of sitting down with a pen and paper and beginning to outline his arguments, it says that Stephen was at such peace that his face looked like that of an angel to everyone who observed him. And so when we talk about the promise of spirit-inspired speech, what we're talking about is not just a hope that one day if I'm put on the spot in a really dangerous situation, I'll be able to speak the right words at the right time. But what we're talking about is a promise from Jesus delivered through the Holy Spirit that should calm our souls in seasons of discomfort and in moments when we don't know what to say. The scriptures promise that when God's people are filled with God's spirit and they're put in a place where they don't know what to say about Jesus or for Jesus, they can have peace and confidence that when they open their mouth and begin to speak, the spirit himself will speak through them. And this is a a wonderful, I don't know if you you recognize what a wonderful promise that is, but if we think about it for just a minute, I I think you'll begin to understand now, I, I know some of you, you're, you're very quick-witted, and you have never been at a loss for what to say, right? And, and if that's you, uh, it probably got you in a lot of trouble when you were growing up. 
probably continues to get you in trouble. I was that kid growing up. My mom told me all she ever wanted in life was the last word. Uh, But God had given me a gift (laughs) that, uh, you know, really, so what it ended was my mom ended ended it with spanking me, uh, and then I would typically still give her the last word as she walked out of the room, and she'd circle back in, and it took a couple years before I learned just to be quiet, right, and, and just to say, okay. Now, now some of us, we're, we're wired that way. Others of us, though, and, and even if you're wired that way, you've been in, in moments and situations where you were put on the spot. Maybe it was at work, maybe it was at school, not even necessarily related to your faith. Maybe it was an argument or disagreement. Maybe you were accused of something you didn't do. Maybe it was an opportunity to make a sale, to to get somebody on board with what you were wanting to do. And they asked questions or they they raised an objection and you just kind of froze. And have you ever had that moment where you're laying in bed at night and you realize, that's what I should have said? Right? Have, you, have you ever had the moment after the disagreement with a spouse or a kid or a friend and you, you, the next day you have the most brilliant comeback in the world? Now some of us, when that happens, we pick up the phone and we call them. Like, hey, remember yesterday? Let's get it going again. Because I got some stuff to say right now. Now what I want you to understand is the promise of spirit-inspired speech is not the promise that you will always be right or that you will always get the last word. But the promise of spirit-inspired speech is you are well aware of your own inability to always say the right thing at the right time and and maybe most importantly, in the right way. Have any of you, have you ever found yourself in the position I've been in at times of, I know I said the right thing, but I said it at a volume or in a tone that it was the wrong thing, right? And you probably haven't, but but I, I have, and just, it doesn't, doesn't count, right? And so what we see with Stephen is he's at peace, not just because he knows the Spirit's going to inspire him, but he knows the Spirit's going to inspire him in a way that's going to be effective for the kingdom. And so Spirit-inspired speech is not about, I need the power of the Holy Spirit so I can always be right, or I need the power of the Holy Spirit so I always get the last word. Spirit-inspired speech is, I can live at peace knowing as I follow God, I'm going to be led into situations where I don't know what to do and I don't know what to say, but the Spirit has already gone before me. He has already prepared the way. He already knows the words he's going to inspire me to speak, and he's already working in the hearts of those who hear, so they will hear them in ways that first further the kingdom of God. This is the promise of Acts chapter 1 verse 8. What did Jesus tell us? He said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Acts 1 8 is the promise of spirit inspired speech. And so what it means for us today is that we have hope that when we experience the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, when we experience that promise of Acts 1-8 being fulfilled in our lives, then we can trust that the Holy Spirit inspires all of our words all of the time. It means there's not going to be a season, there's not going to be a situation, there's not going to be a place you get into where the Holy Spirit won't speak through you. And so if you trust the Holy Spirit to inspire all of your words all of the time, then it means you can be at peace and you can be at rest in every situation you find yourself in. This week has been an experience for me of of learning to trust in this promise of Spirit-inspired speech. 
over and over and over again as we're working through the story of Acts. I, I find lessons in the scriptures about the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. And, and then what I find is God leading me into spaces where I'm having to trust that those aren't just promises I'm going to teach others about, but they're promises I need to experience for myself. And, and so in those spaces, you, you find this sense of peace that God has already gone before me. And this doesn't catch him off guard. This doesn't catch him by surprise. But I can trust the Holy Spirit inspires all of my words all of the time. And then as you, you start to work through Stephen's example, what you see is that Stephen doesn't get up and just begin to give his own speech. Stephen doesn't get up and just begin to kind of rail against his opponents. He, even though it would have seemed logical to challenge them as false witnesses, to call out the lies and deceit that they were embracing, he doesn't do that. Instead, Stephen understands that he has been challenged by his opponents from Scripture. They're challenging that he goes against the temple and he goes against the customs of Moses. And so Stephen's response is firmly rooted in the Scriptures. And Stephen's going to go back and he's going to tell the story of the Old Testament and show how it culminates in Jesus. And in doing so, he's going to try to prove three points to his opponents. He's going to try to prove to them that God is not restricted to the geography of Israel. He's going to try to prove to them that God is able to be worshipped outside of the temple. And then he's going to try to prove to them that the Jewish people and the religious leaders specifically have a long-time pattern of missing God's purposes and God's plan because of their commitment to preserving their own power. And so Stephen, he doesn't, it's spirit-inspired speech, but it's not just him saying, let's see what I can make up or let's, let me go at them personally. He's not using the methods of the world. Instead, Stephen is using the scriptures. And so what it, it kind of leads us to understand is if we want spirit-inspired speech, we have to live a scripture-soaked life. And so as, as you work through Acts chapter 7, again, we don't have time to, to read the whole thing this morning, but as you work through it, what you would see is Stephen is going point by point through the story of the people of Israel. And so it leads us to assume a couple things. Now, we don't know much about Stephen's background, but what we can assume is he grew up in a place where the scriptures were a saturating part of his life. He heard them being taught. He probably read them. He went to synagogue. He heard them from his parents. If he had a traditional Jewish upbringing, then he was taught the scriptures when he woke up in the morning, when he went to bed at night. He reserved, observed the festivals and the feasts. He, he heard the scriptures as he walked through town. He heard the scriptures as he worked. They were written on the doorpost of his house. Everywhere he went and in everything he did, the scriptures were part of his life. And so in, in Acts 7, when Stephen begins to tell the story of what has happened, he goes back and he tells the story of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in his response to the religious leaders. He tells the story of the 12 patriarchs. He tells the story of Joseph being sold into slavery in Egypt. He tells the story of the Egyptian famine and of God's people being placed in slavery. He tells the story of the birth of Moses and of God calling his people out of slavery. He tells the story of God leading his people through the wilderness and into the promised land. He tells the story of David and Solomon and the temple. And in all of it, Stephen's only argument and his only speech is Scripture-inspired speech. And ultimately, he culminates in Acts chapter 7, verse 52, by showing his opponents how all of these Scriptures 
point to Jesus. He says in verse 52, Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. The Holy Spirit inspires Stephen's speech to show the religious leaders that once again they have missed the point. And then the Spirit gives him the boldness to make the application that's necessary of, hey, you've missed it and you've killed the righteous one. Stephen doesn't just give them a history lesson. He gives them application of what the scriptures mean to them on that day. But as we consider Stephen's speech and his words, we don't want to look, overlook the, the important fact that his inspired words come from the inspired word of God. Stephen doesn't get up and just share what he knows from any source or any part of his life. Stephen doesn't stand to speak with an empty head or an empty heart. But as Stephen is put in this position, the words that the Spirit inspires him to speak are the scriptures that he has hidden in his heart. The words that come to mind are the words that have been internalized. And so what that means for us today is that if we desire to be, script, to be people who are filled with the Holy Spirit and who speak Spirit-inspired words, then we have to understand that Spirit-inspired speech does not occur in a vacuum. But the Holy Spirit uses the words of God that you have already put in your heart and mind. And, and think about this. You see it in the scriptures that most of the time when people get up from the Old Testament through the New Testament to speak on behalf of God, either in terms of evangelizing someone who's never heard of Jesus, to navigating conflicts in the church, to resisting temptation, to responding to accusers, almost always there will be a response from the scriptures in their speech. And these are always men and women who have internalized the scriptures in their life. And if, if you think about it, you, you know it's probably true in your life as well. Those of you who've experienced moments of spirit-inspired speech, there's almost always been a connection with the scriptures in your life. And, and, and I know for me, the Holy Spirit uses the things that are in my head and in my heart to inspire my speech in the moments where I don't know what to say. Which is why the Holy Spirit has probably never led me to use any example from physics or trigonometry to explain anything to everyone. Because there's nothing in there, right? That is a, that's a blank space. It's a, if, if we're beyond spell trigonometry, I'm lost. I can get that and, and then it's over. The same thing for you. There are spaces where God is never going to inspire your speech to speak for him because you, you just there's nothing there. Now, could he do it? Absolutely. Could the Holy Spirit in this moment inspire me to remember what the word cosine actually means? He probably could. He's probably not. Don't ask because I can't, right? And, and, and if I can, we'll know it's the supernatural work of God. But for most of us, we've got to give the Holy Spirit something to work with. And the reason that Stephen can stand and so confidently speak from the Scriptures is because the Scriptures had completely saturated his life. They were part of who he was. He had not, didn't just read these as the, the history of the people of Israel. He read them as, this is the history of my people. I am part of the story. I am there. I am of the lineage of Abraham and Isaac 
and Jacob. And when you and I read the scriptures today, we are still filling our heart and our mind with the eternal truths of God that brings tremendous benefit to us. When you soak your life in the scripture, you're giving the Holy Spirit resources to use when you have to speak for Jesus in places where you're uncomfortable. You're giving the Holy Spirit resources to use when you're facing unrelenting temptation. You're giving the Holy Spirit words to bring back to your your mind when you need wisdom and discernment about what is next in your future. You're giving the Holy Spirit truth to bring to your heart when you're facing conflict or difficulty. When you saturate your life in the scriptures, you'll be amazed how often the Holy Spirit brings the scriptures to mind. And as you do that, and as the Holy Spirit does that, it's going to grow your love and your experience of the Scriptures, and it's going to push you back into it. And it just creates this circle of reinforcement that as the Spirit brings the Scriptures to mind, you can't help but go back to the Scriptures again. And so what we want to understand today is to to be a Spirit-empowered believer, to be a Spirit-empowered church, is not an excuse for a lack of discipline, a lack of study, or a lack of time in the Scriptures. We don't get to say, I don't need the Bible, I have the Holy Spirit. We get to say, the Spirit inspired the Scriptures, the Spirit applies the Scriptures, and so I'm going to read the Scriptures by the power of the Holy Spirit and trust that He will use them in the time and the place that He wants us to. Now, I know for, for some of us, that idea of a Scripture-soaked life is challenging and, and maybe even just kind of a, a foreign concept. So real quick, I just want to walk you through four ways that you can kind of incorporate the Scriptures into your life on a more regular basis. So, so the first is this idea of scripture before. If you struggle to read the Bible, and and as a pastor, I have talked to so many people. And before I was the lead pastor at Christian Chapel, I was the youth pastor at Christian Chapel. And and as a youth pastor, I would tell kids all the time, you've got to read the Bible. And I would hear all the time, but it's boring. Why would I read the Bible, right? And and so you're kind of trying to teach them and trying to help them. But here's what we know. We know if we spend time in the Scripture, the Spirit will bring the Scriptures to mind. And when the Spirit begins to bring the Scriptures to mind, the Scriptures begin to come to life. And so I would always encourage you, before you do anything else, when you approach the Scriptures, just approach it with a very simple prayer of, Lord, will you speak to me as I read this today? Will you begin to speak to me and show me what you have for me to learn today? And then then some disciplines just to kind of incorporate it on a more regular basis because, I don't know, Scripture reading seems to fall in the category of working out and eating healthy. We all would like to do it more. Very few of us do it enough, right? And, and so first, Scripture before. What I found in my life is in seasons where it's hard to maintain that discipline, if I will tell myself, I'm going to read the Bible before I do something else that I do every day, right? So, so that might be, I'm going to read the Scripture before I eat breakfast. I'm going to read the Scripture before I pick up my phone. I'm going to read the Scripture before I check my email. I'm going to read the Scripture before I leave for work in the morning. I'm going to read the scripture before I go to bed at night. Whatever it is, you're just building in some rhythms and routines to try to help yourself. Kind of similar to that would be scripture with, right? So so maybe it's, uh, for me, one of the things I do is scripture with my first cup of coffee. Because I've never forgot to have a cup of coffee in the morning, right? It just, it happens every day, no matter what. So scripture with. Some of you, it's going to be scripture with folding laundry. Scripture with working out. Scripture with driving, right? Because you're going to use the audio version of the scripture while you're driving. You're not going to read through it. But figure out what it is. Pair it with something else. 
A couple years ago, I heard Rick Warren make the recommendation of if you're trying to get the Bible in your heart more, embrace an idea of Scripture first and last. And his thought there was very simple of just the first words I'm going to read every morning are going to be the words of Scripture. And the last words I'm going to read every night are going to be the words of Scripture. And he wasn't advocating for, and it's going to be 10 chapters in the morning and 13 chapters at night. It was, hey, whatever it is, just start with something. And if you'll begin to incorporate these disciplines, what you'll find is the Spirit works. And then my, my favorite way to incorporate the Scriptures into my life is the, the Scriptures 365 days a year. I love a good annual Bible reading plan. And I know some of you are wired like me, and the reason we love it is because we get to check boxes. You know, so I've, like I've downloaded the Version app on my iPad. I, I read on my iPad every morning with that cup of coffee, and it checks it. And when I'm done, it, it pops up a thing that tells me I did it for the day. <laughs> so every day starts with some boxes being checked off. It, it, it'll track how many days in a row I've read, right? And, and it'll kind of build up, and you'll see that. And then you have the one day you forget, and it just sets you sideways because you had 270 days in a row. And now you're back at one. But you're just going to jump back on the horse and, and get going. And some of you are like, that shouldn't bother you. I know, but it does, right? And that's why I read the Bible every day, to try to help me in all of those little idiosyncrasies that we all have. But embrace it, do it. And what, So whether it's the audio Bible, whether it's a physical Bible, whether it is the King James, the New International, the, I don't care, just read it. And just put it in your heart, because the more it's in your heart, what you're going to find is the more it comes out of your mouth. The more it's in your heart, the more it's going to be in your mind. We must live a scripture-soaked life. A couple years ago, I had a friend that I was talking with, and, and he was talking with me about like, the, the struggle he had to read the Bible. And he, he kind of came from a background where there was a, a lot of legalism, a lot of rules around uh, what you did as a Christian. And so he, he grew up knowing if you don't read a certain number of chapters a day, you're not a real Christian. If you don't pray a certain amount of time each day, you're not a real Christian. If you don't listen to the right music or read the right Bible translation, you're not a real Christian. And, and so he'd kind of come out of that. He'd learned to embrace a, a relationship with Jesus based off grace. He'd learned to embrace the power of the Holy Spirit. But there were a few areas where some of that old legalism still kind of clung to him. And one of the ways it stuck was with Bible reading. And so we were talking about it, and I was just encouraging him, man, you have to read your Bible every day. It has to be a part of your life. You have to incorporate that discipline. And, and I remember him telling me, he said, I, I hear what you're saying, but I don't want my Bible reading to become legalistic. And he said, so I've made a decision that I only read my Bible when I really feel like it. So I asked him, well, how's that going? He said, not well at all. Because it turns out I rarely feel like it. It turns out there's always something better to do. And, and so what he was acknowledging in our conversation was, because I'm not spending time in the scriptures, I'm not taking the time I would have been in the scriptures and giving it to prayer or giving it to community. I'm taking the time I would have been in scriptures and I'm watching the news or I'm, I'm cruising social media or I'm doing all these other things. And so what happens in that process is in the absence of scripture, we just get discipled by other sources of information. And they begin to shape our minds and they begin to shape our hearts. And then when we're frustrated and when we're angry, those are the things that come to mind. Because we haven't given the Holy Spirit anything to work with. Right? If, if the only time you're hearing the scriptures is Sunday when you hear them from me, that's not enough. If the, the only time you hear them is when you really, really feel close to Jesus, then you're probably only going to them when you're in moments of extreme need. 
What I want to encourage you with this morning is, is don't let legalism rob you of the benefits of discipline. And the discipline of being in the scriptures every single day, of making them one of the primary discipleship tools in your life, will bear fruit now and for years to come. We can all be people who live by the power of the Holy Spirit and experience Spirit-inspired speech and a Scripture-soaked life. And so, so if it's okay with you, I want to talk just to our, our Royal Family Camp staff for just a minute. This week, you're going to have the opportunity to embrace spirit-inspired speech. With 66 campers coming from a, a background where they're in foster care, they've experienced hurt, they've experienced abandonment, abuse, and neglect. They've experienced things that many of us could never imagine. You will hear some of their stories this week as you're their counselor walking with them through camp, as you're working in activity and, and in the middle of painting or riding a bike or shooting a basketball, they're going to start to tell you something about their life. And in those moments you are not going to know what to say because you're not smart enough. You don't have enough training. You don't have enough wisdom. And in that moment, your only hope is that the Holy Spirit will speak through you. And yet in that space, you have confidence because Jesus has promised that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. He's promised that when you have an opportunity to speak for him in a space where you don't know what to say, you can just open your mouth and the words of the Father will begin to come through your mouth to them in the way that they hear. And, and it's not just restricted to royal family, but for many of us, this week, 4th of July, you're going to hang out with some friends, you're going to hang out with some family. And you might not know what you're going to say or how you're going to say it. You might return to a job site or an office tomorrow where your faith is frequently challenged, where you know there's someone you need to share your faith with, but you have no idea what to say. Some of you might go home to a spouse who doesn't know Jesus, to children who've rejected him, to hard conversations you have to have, and you're just wondering, Lord, what do I say? And in that moment, I would encourage you, just trust that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in you. Trust that the promises of Jesus have been fulfilled in your life and that you will speak his words in his way, in his tone, so that his kingdom can advance. And then on the other side of that, to, to our Royal Family Camp staff, I would encourage you this week, you have the opportunity to express a spirit-soaked life to the campers that you're with. Royal Family is not an overtly evangelistic camp, and yet it is a faith-based camp rooted in the scriptures. And so they're going to hear Bible lessons every day. And we're going to give each camper a Bible while they're at camp. And what you're going to find is you're going to have opportunities to tell them the stories that are your favorite stories in the Bible. There are going to be moments where they say or do something and it reminds you of something in the Bible. And you're going to experience what Stephen experienced in, in kind of a, a maybe a, a less tense setting. But you're still going to speak the words of Scripture by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then the other side of Royal Family Camp is we get the privilege of planting seeds of Scripture in their hearts that the Holy Spirit's going to bring back to their mind when they need to hear. Words and Scriptures of hope, of peace, of identity, of joy, of restoration and renewal. And as we do that, God uses His words to achieve His purposes in the lives of every person. And so at Christian Chapel, we want to be a group of people who surrender to the empowering presence of the Spirit. We want to be a group of people who will confidently step into any situation knowing that the Spirit himself can speak through us. And to do that, we want to be a group of people whose conscience, whose heart, whose soul are soaked in the Scripture, whose worldview is shaped by the Scripture, whose conversations drip 
with the truths of Scripture. And for us to do that, we're going to make a commitment as individuals and as a community that we will give ourselves time. We will make the effort and the investment to let the Scriptures become a daily part of our experience. And as you do, you'll find that the same Spirit that inspired the Scriptures applies them to your life. It makes those words jump off the page and into your heart and into your situation. And you'll begin to move forward with confidence into every opportunity you have to speak for or about Jesus, knowing that he will inspire your speech. Will you stand with me? I want to pray for you. And the band's going to come back and lead us in a final song this morning. Jesus, we come to you today. We're thankful that you have sent the Holy Spirit to us. We're thankful that we have a promise that when we have opportunities to speak for you, it's not on us. It's not about our ability. It's not about our eloquence. But it's about the presence of the Spirit at work in those situations. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for the way they shape us and mold us. We thank you for the way the Spirit brings them to our hearts and to our minds. Now, Jesus, we ask, will you make us men and women who are full of your Spirit? Will you make us men and women who are confident that every space you lead, you will provide and you will direct and you will inspire our speech to achieve your purposes? Lord, will you give us the ability to be perfectly at peace and perfectly at rest in every situation, no matter how hard or how difficult it might seem? Jesus, we come to you again today and we pray a special prayer of your empowering presence over our Royal Family Camp staff. May they know that they are walking a path that you have designed that they are encountering kids that you love and have a plan for, and that you will direct every conversation and every situation. You will fill every royal family volunteer with the power of your Holy Spirit so that your kingdom can be established and grow in the heart of every camper. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.